Today on the Carry On Podcast, we have Jason Seacrest. Jason is Lieutenant Colonel with the New York Army National Guard, where he serves as a Deputy G5. He's also a real estate agent with Caldwell Bank Banking Realty here in uh, Washington, D.C. And my, my favorite, he is the post commander for the American Legion Post Number 8, the Kenneth H. Nash Post, and that is also here in D.C. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while, so I'm glad we can meet. Um, normally, I go into a little bit about yourself, but because of the current situation, I kind of want to get to a couple topics first, and then we'll Let's go back. All right, so thoughts on what happened at the Capitol, because now this podcast is a week after. Okay. Um, I, I am disgusted, appalled, um, I think like a lot of Americans are, just watching it go down and just feel, I think, I think it was just a sense of helplessness, helplessness. Like, I don't know. I just love to go, you know, get my uniform on and go grab a shield and a baton and go help out. Um, I think it was, I, it, I'll be interested to see in the days, weeks, months, uh, what comes of this. It, I said, initially talking to my wife, we're watching it. I said, I bet there's some degree that this is an inside job. Um, I, I knew, knew somebody who was on the ground who, you know, gave me a couple updates while he was there. Uh, he wasn't one of the ones going into the Capitol, I'll, I'll add, um, or causing buffoonery. But um, he said that to him, and he's a retired military guy, that there was a, a degree of organization amongst a lot of the people, or not a lot, some of the people that were there, like commercial-grade bullhorns, rehearsed commands, and... You Some know, sort of think, app they were using as a walkie-talkie. Yes, yeah. So I think that's going to come out that there was a degree of organization to this. Uh, this wasn't a random thing. And um, on, on the other hand, I think Capitol Police did uh, a very poor job of planning to, to do this. But just like any, any event like this, I mean, things like this come down to the individual bravery and initiative of key people. I mean, the, the one guy who um, led – led protesters away. He kept retreating and um, lured, lured them away from the Senate chamber. I mean, I, I kept yelling at my wife, like they kept playing it over and over that clip over and over. And I said, draw your gun and start shooting some people. Like I, uh, but now I know why he was, he did what he did. So, um, you know, he had a military background too, I think, right. He was in 101 or 82nd. I forget which one he was in. He had been in prior. Yeah. I, I will say, and not to sound extreme, but I, I just, I, I think if, had I been on the line there commanding soldiers you know, in uniform, I probably would have used lethal force to keep people out of the building. Well, so somebody did. We know that, oh, at least yeah. in one case. Well, there would have been more lethal force used had I been there on the ground. Um, because I, I think that um, a red line was crossed. I mean, people breached the Capitol. And it was something that, I mean, there are strategic implications to a local event. I mean, because now people, I mean, the Capitol hasn't been breached since uh, um, 1812 when uh, soldiers were, were burning and, you know, Battle of Bladensburg and all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, so I, I think it was, it's just a, a sad milestone in our country's history. And we've telegraphed to our enemies that um, in some degree we're vulnerable. Um, and I think one thing that's going to come out of this, I think you're going to see a drastically different look to the Capitol Police because, again, they have one job. It's in their name, protect the Capitol. And for, uh, for to some degree, they didn't do it. Yeah, but I feel like also there's a behind the scenes, like stand down. 
I, I, and I think that's going to come out. I think, um, you know, and I think. Um, I mean, so we're kind of making them look like they didn't do their jobs and they probably didn't to some degree, but I also think like. I mean, I, th I think in the, uh, in, in the time to come, you know, I think that that stuff will come out. Um, since I'm still in uniform, I, I won't, uh, um, make comments about certain elected officials. Um, maybe we'll wait after January 21st. I can be a little bit more candid, but that's, I, th I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out. I think that's fair. So I, uh, I actually was at the Trump rally and it was very peaceful. I was there that they had a concert on the night before. Uh, I would say there's like maybe 4,000 people there. It was very peaceful. It was very entertaining. Um, they had um, everybody that he had exonerated, um, like my, uh, Roger Stone, they had um, uh, just all, all sorts of people speaking, and it was a really cool event. And then I went the next day to the rally, and I mean, you can see the pictures of the rally, like they were huge. Yeah. So my point being is that, number one, um, I found it very, so after that I came home because I wanted to watch the hearings, um, the Electoral College hearings on TV. Yeah. So I came home to watch it and I was actually watching it on my phone on the way home because I wanted to see who was going to vote and you know that's something I'm very interested in. So I came directly home and then it started to unravel, unravel at the Capitol and it, I couldn't believe that I had been at this event where people were incredibly peaceful. Um, I'm not even going to speculate how many people were there, but um, and then to see, to see where, where it had gone in just an hour. And I had like left before Trump was done speaking because I wanted to get home. Um, and half the crowd had already started heading towards the Capitol, but the way that it, the way that it ended and the way that I saw it an hour later, like I couldn't even believe we were at the same, I mean, we obviously weren't at the same event cause I wasn't at the Capitol, but I couldn't believe we were talking about people from the same event. I, and, and that's my, uh, my friend who was also on the ground. Yeah, that was the same sentiment that he had. I think that in, inevitably what happens with these large scale events, and, and this is, this is just a universal thing is that, you know, there's always this small element of, of rabble rousers and people that go to cause problems. I mean, I, I remember my parents telling me about campus riots in the sixties and it was always outside people that would come in and, and stir everything up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and then it's one of those things where the actions of, of uh, you know, a number of people um, put a shadow on um, what other people come there to do. I, I'll say personally, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that goes to rallies. I don't, I don't march. Um, I didn't march. I wanted to hear Trump speak. Yeah. I just in general, like, cause I think that's different because when you go and listen to speakers than when you, when you march, I think that's yeah. different. Yeah. I, I just I like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Cause yeah. I've never actually been to a march, but I, I obviously will participate in rallies because I want to hear what, what is being said and I want to yeah. see who's gathering. Yeah. I think probably the, the limit of my, uh, how political I get, I used to write op-eds for the paper. Um, I stopped that when I went back on active duty and I give money to candidates and campaigns and things like that. But that's, I guess that's the extent of my political activism right there. Well, like you said, you're also in uniform and you have some key positions in the community. Yeah. Um, but uh, one other, I didn't get to my second point and I realized yeah. this podcast is about you, but I have a lot of opinions. Um, the second thing that really bothered me was the cancel culture that you saw on the social media directly afterwards. Like I turned on my Facebook and there was, 
you know, people that I have known in the community in DC that we may not have had the same, we may not have have the same like political backgrounds, but here they were just like saying nasty things about Trump supporters and how racist and how violent. And it was just like, and then they, every single one of them I looked were like, even if you have a problem with, if you don't have a problem with this and you're not totally upset and you were one of them out there, then you can just unfriend me. And I just was like, and I got it. Of course I got into it with a couple of them. There were some, um, some Hill vets, uh, people that I had worked with or actually they, they worked for Hill vets and I was a Hill vet. And like, these are people that I liked and here they were like calling me racist and calling all rioters racist. And I called them out and it's just like, I couldn't believe how, how there was no discussion. Like, let's just wait and see what happens. Like you guys are going to go to right away. If you don't agree with exactly how I feel, then you can just take me off your Facebook page. And one of them blocked me, one of them unfriended me. And like, I like these people, like they were cool. I mean, and I still like them, but the fact that like, there's no debate within their debate and it was, and it was right afterwards. And like, they didn't even know about the Trump rally. And then, you know, you, you kind of defend yourself because you feel like you have to, and then you're racist. And it was just, it was, it just was really, really frustrating to me. And I will probably never talk to those three people again. And I, two of them, I liked one of them, I didn't, but, and they all ganged up on me. I mean, I I would say that you should try to reach out and and engage them you know once the pandemic's over and the hill vets are doing happy hours again because i i th- you know i've noticed that you know this the kind of cancel culture uh just kind of the, the the one-sided nature sometimes of politics and i think i think it speaks to an individual's degree of political maturity and and just their overall maturity in general because ostensibly and 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 i think this is you know throughout throughout time i mean the hallmark of, of a great person, a statesman, a debater, is somebody who can sit and listen to the arguments of, of another person, mm-hmm. be able to listen to those arguments, weigh them, and either agree or disagree, and then specify why they agree or disagree with those points. I mean, and I think that's one of the nice things um, about the military. And I, I, are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah, you can. It's okay. okay. All right. I'm pretty so, sure I just did like four times. Yeah. So I, I think that one of the things I always liked about the military is, you know, you can get into an argument with somebody and you can argue passionately, you know, and you tell each other to go fuck off. And then, you know, you're having beers later and you're laughing about it the next day. And, you're and, like, earlier you're like, maybe, hey, maybe that was a good point. Let me think about yeah. that. Yeah. And, I, and that was one, always one of the things I liked about the military because, you know, it's because compared to civilian world where, you know, I like friends of mine, like, you know, one of my best friends, I, I told him one time, I said, you know, you're all, you're all eat the fuck up. And then we we're having beers the next day and, you know, laughing about it. And that's, it's like the group think it's like you, we, obviously you and I are having a little bit of group think right now. Cause we have some of the same opinions, but it's group think if, if someone isn't exactly the way you feel, then they don't fit in your, in that group. And so you yeah. never, you never grow your thinking. You're never able to listen to anybody else. If you're surrounded by people that are exactly like you all the time. And that's how I feel about these people. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of surprising with military people too. Cause I mean, the, I think also one of the benefits of military service is getting to know people from, you know, different ethnicities, backgrounds, mm-hmm. gender, you know, the, the whole mix of that. And I think I've tried to apply that in my life. And, you know, I think it's made me more sympathetic or maybe empathetic is the right word to, to what other people say. Cause I think I have to some small degree an appreciation of background, what their thoughts are, what they're thinking. Um, so, you know, the, the, my way or the highway kind of version of politics, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, we need to come together. 
Well, their version of coming together is, well, you need to agree with me. That's how we come together. And it's not seeking common ground for compromise or not willing an unwillingness to listen to the thoughts of other people. And I, and I think it's a sad fact. And I think one of the reasons why I generally don't talk politics, you know, in public, number one, I'm in a personal services business. Um, you know, I want everybody to hire me. You know, I don't want people not to hire me because I put something out on Facebook or Twitter. I generally, I really don't put anything out. Um, and I won't say anything too controversial here today, but, um, I think certain people elevate politics to the level of religion and it, and in religion, if you disagree with somebody, you know, a, they're a heathen or, you know, they're guilty of apostasy. So it's not just mere disagreement on politics. It's apostasy to disagree with this, this person's opinion because it's, 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 it's almost like a, like, like a religious element, my way or the highway. And I think it's an unfortunate thing um, that's exists in the country is that we just can't sit down and listen to other people without getting angry. I mean, there, there are very few things that I, I just sit and listen to and get angry. I mean, do I, do I agree with it? No. Do I, I mean, get how many times yeah. I've had to sit and listen to other people's political views and I'm totally okay with that because that's your right to have that opinion. Yeah. And I'm glad that you can, you can have your own thoughts and we can have different thoughts. And I'm glad we can both do that. And, and I think that, you know, I, I've told people, um, you know, not to give things away, but I'm probably a little bit more conservative than most of my neighbors here in the. You probably grid. are. Yeah. I think um, that's fair. But, you know, I, I've run into people where they just, um, they just say, you know, stupid things and, uh, or they get angry to, you know, what I say. And it's just like, and I just say, look, you've got a right to be an asshole because I put a uniform on and protect your right to be an asshole and talk like an asshole. No, I feel that. I feel like that too. And I'll put it in my own words is that I thought too, and I'm allowed to have this opinion and you're allowed to have your opinion. And just because you don't agree with me does not mean that you can take my opinion away. And I may not be as vocal as you, but you're not going to shame me. You're not going to, you can cancel culture me all day, all you want, because like, whatever, that doesn't bother me, but you're not going to shame me into being a, being called racist. You're not going to shame me into not having an opinion. You're not going to shame me into your opinion because I've allowed you to have your opinion and I haven't even, you know, so I'm obviously getting like pissy, but I mean, oh, I think, you know, and, and labeling people as this and that is a, is a lazy way. It's, it's lazy rhetoric. I mean, it's a lazy, a lazy man's way, an unintellectual person's way to argue. Um, and I, and I think it's another thing where people, words matter. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good wordsmith and that's, look, I, I can barely do math. Um, I can barely do some other things. I'm not going to, never going to be a rocket scientist, but I, I'm a good wordsmith. And, and I always clarify, like when, when somebody, for example, tells you, you know, you, you call a customer service person and they say, I can't do this. And I always clarify, can't do it or won't do it because there's a difference. Can't means that you don't have the physical ability, either, either, uh, the, the physical ability or the mental ability or whatever, you can't do it because you don't know how. It's not possible. Okay. Won't does it. And won't means I have the ability to do it. I'm just, I choose not to. And that's, and that's why I think people are not very precise in their language. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that people need to watch, especially right now is just some of the pejoratives that people are applying to people. And again, from both sides, I think it, I think where both sides are guilty. Yes, definitely. So I, I, I can debate people on the merits of an argument without dropping non sequiturs and pejoratives. 
Yes, and you you would hope the other person would be able to do the same. But like you said, we're not always, and I'm not always very graceful about the way I defend my opinions because I get heated. So I do I do understand that you have to be intentional with your words, especially right now. I just don't have a. I don't. I yeah. I I think people just need to embrace patience. They they need to be patient with other people. They need to listen. I, I am guilty of that. You know, just like you are. I mean. Uh, my wife and I are the different political persuasions, but I mean, and, and people ask us like, you know, how could you be married to somebody from another political party? And I'm like, why not? I mean, they're good. She's a good person. I love her. We're, we're like James Carville and Mary Madeline. So I think I did ask you that too, when I first met you, but I mean, I do understand that you, if you can both have your different views and you can not attack each other, then why not? Right. Yeah. You get to live with someone who educates you about the other side all the time. I mean, I spent most of my single years in the city during the Obama administration. I mean, who else was I going to date? That's true, right? There, it is kind of hard to find Republican women around here. Yep. Yeah, that's why my dating life's pretty good. Um, all right, I don't want to get too off. So a couple other things, uh, a couple other hot topics. Uh, let's talk about um, the call for the resignation of uh, Secretary of the VA, Wilkie. Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think very premature. Um, I think, and it was based on that that incident, uh, which we're both familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the big veteran service organizations piled on very quickly. Um, I think that look, the VA the VA has grown in some respects. I think I think you know has made some positive steps. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the next VA secretary will do. Um, you know, especially with respect to privatization of healthcare. Um, Him not being a veteran. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and that's one of the things, that, you know, I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does, but I think that, I don't think Wilkie should, should resign. I mean, geez, there's only five days left. Um, he's, he's, he's hanging on. He didn't resign, you know, between, you know, last, you know, last week's events and everything. And um, so, no, I, I don't think he should resign. Yeah, I was actually really proud of him because I have heard him come out and say that he he will not resign. And so um, I'm, I'm actually glad that he he didn't. Again, I, again, I feel like we're in cancel culture because he didn't do it exactly the way somebody wanted him to do it. Now, I mean, the things Wilkie has done for our VA, and I, I go to that VA in D.C., and I the that healthcare has improved so much over the time that he's worked there. And for someone to go in and have an issue, which I don't, I'm not saying that what happened didn't happen. All I'm saying is that afterwards you publicized it and you made it work for you. And you stood in front of the VA and you said, this place is shitty. And I, and I, and I find that highly offensive because that's my VA too. And that's not the experience I had and because you work on some committee, you know, in front for a Democrat, you're allowed to, you're allowed to stand here and talk shit. And then, and then at the same time, everything's coming out like the Deborah Sampson Act, and there's all these things. And like, you know, they're calling for Wilkie's removal. Like, how dare you be so calculating? How how is that cool? And then the big five or the big six, they all jump on. Could one of them have said, "Hey, let's wait for the IG report"? I mean, did yeah. we ever find an IG report? I I'd be interested to read that that IG report when it comes out. Oh, because it didn't. Oh, because it never came out. We should all jump on a ship and we should have an opinion like everybody else. Yeah. And we haven't read the IG report. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I mean, that's the whole thing is that, I, and I think. You, wait, wait, let me just say, you and I were, you're still in the military and I was in the military for 10 years. Like you read IG reports. 
These are things that that are very detailed and very lengthy. And you, especially for the one under investigation, you know what they say. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think the disappointing thing that's, that's happened is people are so quick to write other people off. You know, if you're accused of some kind of misconduct, you know, it's just, it's like you're guilty until proven innocent. And it's across the board. I mean, you know, for various kinds of misconduct. Right, and, and it works until it happens to you. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And it, um, it's, it's like this, it's like the scene, you know, from Frankenstein when all the villagers come there with pitchforks and torches and they're ready to burn the castle down. And, and it's the same kind of just in a sense mob mentality. Yeah, I was definitely glad to see that he did not resign and he held his head up high and he, he basically said, I, well, from what I, from what I gather, he didn't fully participate in the IG report or the IG investigation. Um, so the, and then the things that they're actually accusing him of, I, we, we don't actually know if those things happen because we, we don't, we, well, we can't see the report. Sustained. What? Uh, a report would show whether they were sustained or not, whether the accusations yeah, so shame, so shame on you, Big Five. Shame on you for all jumping on the same boat. Not one of you, not one of you had the balls to to have a different opinion. And look, and I'm glad, I'm glad Wilkie stuck up his middle finger at you because if that's what you're going to do to everybody, anytime there's an issue, you're just going to cancel them. I mean, the things that Wilkie has done for veterans in the last four years, again, I'll stop. But I just, I just cannot believe that that's the kind of leadership that we have in place. And maybe this is the problem. Maybe this is why the big five or the big six aren't working right now because this is what they do. They all jump on the same, let's go, let's walk on the same bandwagon. Not one, not one person, not one group stood up for him. And, but they were, but they were right there when, you know, he was making all the changes. They were right there supporting him when he was doing well. But then this one thing comes out that's totally politically related. We know that. And you're going to turn your back on him. We think we know that. Well, okay. All right. We think we know that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you go with the bill into the VA, have an incident, and then like two weeks later, you're having a press conference outside about what a shitty VA that is. Yeah. I mean. The, the IG report will be interesting to read when it's released. Yes. All right. <laughs> Next topic. All right. So how did you become, I, I feel like you're very young to be a post commander. Of yes. the American Legion. Tell me, tell me how that, how you ended up there. Well, so I, I've been a member of the Legion for, for a number of years. And uh, when I moved to Capitol Hill, I knew they had this great post and um, I just walked in, felt welcomed. Um, you know, they're like, Oh geez, somebody under the age of 60 that's brand new and just, just walked in. <laughs> you know, I think within like two months I was like the treasurer, you know, I fixed the website, I fixed a bunch of things and you, know, you upgraded the beer choices. Yes, I upgraded the beer choices. And I'm pleased to say that we take credit cards now because of me. Oh, that, but that's huge, though. That's huge. That, that's huge because, uh, you know, as uh, some of your listeners may know, we have a very active bingo um, on Saturdays, a couple Saturdays out of the month, you know, when the pandemic's done on. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, I could look at myself. I'm 40 years old and I, or 42 years old and I don't carry more than $100 cash with me. At any, at any given time, I use cards. And the people that were going to bingo were Hill staffers and people in their 20s predominantly. And I just said one day, I said, why are we not taking credit cards? Because, you know, our customers probably don't carry a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. And we're asking them to come in and carry cash. And, and our sales just went up um, after we started taking credit cards. Well, 
and, and then, you know, we added karaoke and I just said, look, you know, the, a lot of these kids are half in the tank already. You know, we, if they take credit cards, you know, we'll be able to entertain them longer. Yeah. You'll be able to get that bill up higher. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I mean, and, and I think, you know, we, we max out a bingo, you know, again, during, during normal times, just cause people, they go in like, Oh, Hey, I don't have 10 bucks on me, but I've got my credit card and I've still got mm-hmm. you know, a couple hundred dollars away from my limit. So it's all good. I'm going to go spend it at the Legion. Yeah. I've heard, I have not been to bingo at the Legion, but I have heard really good things about it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and when I stepped in too, I just realized, um, this place has to change and, we need existential change because it, it, look, if somebody, if somebody my age doesn't do this, it's never going to happen. And, and, and it's the same story with these other veteran service organizations is that, um, you know, part of the problem is people don't join anything anymore. People don't join the Elks. They don't join the Shriners, the Masons, all that kind of, I mean, like they can barely have time to join their family. Yeah. You know, and especially, you know, when you're, when you're a dual income family, you know, and especially you need a dual income and a, city like DC. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, just across the board, people aren't joining any things. And, and we don't have as many veterans as what we did in, you know, the post-World War II, Korea, Vietnam eras. I mean, the military was much larger. I mean, uh, even up until, you know, the um, Gulf War, I mean, the, we had a big military and it went down the size, you know, and strength went down. And now, you know, we had to ramp up a little bit for, for uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. But I mean, I just realized I've got to make this place appealing towards all veterans and, and one of the, and especially uh, female veterans, um, LGBT veterans. Um, because look, in my opinion, if you've served, you're welcome at the American Legion and, and you're welcome at my post. And now can I say that across the board for all, all Legion posts? Probably not, but you know, in my post you're welcome. And, and anybody who hassles anybody that's a vet, um, I'm going to throw them out. And I've thrown some people out before because, um, they didn't embrace the values of the American Legion. Now, do you have a female population that, that does regularly come when I know you guys are closed right now again, but, um, it's better. Is it where I want to be? We don't want to see the post. No. Um, and, and I've heard some of the complaints. I mean, um, nobody wants to go to their Legion post and get passed out on a date. Okay. I get really? Hmm. Well, well, by like, you know, if you're if you're a thirty something female vet and you're getting asked out by a sixty something vet, no, you're probably not. Okay, um, that's fair. But um, just you know, telling people just like, look, chill. I mean, relax. We're all veterans here. You know, treat people like you would want to be treated. You know, not to sound sappy, but just the the golden rule. And you have some other improvements that are coming too. I know we talked about before, but do you have a website that you're going to use in the DC area? Yeah. So uh, our website is due for an overhaul. Um, I want to make it more um, user-friendly, but I also want to add, basically make it, make it, have it just provide a service to the community, our veterans community, because there's so many resources out there, you know, in terms of, Hey, do you need a ride to the VA hospital? Do you need, um, like in DC, you, you can qualify for free bike share. A uh, shitty VA down the street. Yeah. Um, I'm kidding. There's so, many, <laughs> there are so, there are so many service providers out there and, and there's really not one central place to go to figure out where you can get help, you know, like job assistance. 
Um, so I, I want to tackle that. I've got my, my director of social media and I are thinking about how we would do that. You know, we would, you know, put some ads or something in there to just kind of offset the, the cost of running it and, and keeping it current. But, you know, just, you know, right there, just trying to provide a service to the community. Um, also want to increase the number of service projects we do for the community. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were cleaning the DAV Memorial in DC. Uh, we were doing our veteran happy hours, uh, fundraisers for a cause. Um, but I, I want to get more involved. Uh, we need to be more involved, but in general, I just, I want to create a space where the next generation of American Legion members are going to want to come uh, because look, people our age, they don't smoke and drink as much as they used to. And then there's a lot of people that they just, they don't want to walk into, you know, that, you know, that perception of like a dingy bar with a bunch of crusty old guys talking about their military, you know, glories from days past and years gone by. Um, right. That's not the, that's not the American Legion that we want to hang. Like you said, that's not where we yeah. want to hang out at. And, and, and what I tell some of my naysayers is that, look, Hey, you know, keep fighting me. Um, you're going to be dead. And then I'm going to have a bigger mess to clean up because you just don't listen to do what I tell you to do. Because when, when it's served, it's perfect. It served its purpose during Vietnam when they needed yeah. to hide. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we, and we just, I mean, and, and I've been thinking about, okay, how do I open the doors of our American Legion, my American Legion post? And now we host sea cadets and boy scouts and girl scouts. So we've opened the community, you know, open the doors to the community. We don't charge any meeting fees or anything like that. And it's brought more people into the post. Um, we did some family-friendly Sundays, you know, where we um, uh, had kids' games and movies and chicken fingers and fries and pizza. And, and parents could bring um, their kids in, have a couple drinks, spend some family time. Because, you know, what a lot of people told me, we, we, we have a, actually a lot of military families on the Hill or, or retired you know, one of the complaints I kept hearing was, well, I'd like to come down, but you know, my wife's got the kids or my husband's got the kids. Childcare. Childcare. So I thought, okay, if you build it, they will come. Uh, and my, so my long-term goal is to, I totally want to gutter building, um, add a third story, add a roof deck, put an elevator. And on the roof deck, I want to put like a cigar lounge or just a, like a nice outdoor where you can just sit and read a book, you know, enjoy something in the summer. Um, and I've been thinking about, okay, what does an American Legion post of the future look like? Well, I think it's it, a really good question. And I think it's going to have, I want some kind of workout facility, maybe just like a small little CrossFit area, you know, just simple things like how about I serve coffee and kombucha as an option instead of, you know, beer and liquor. Um, how do I keep the music down at a reasonable level? Um, they, you know, like telehealth, how, do, how about I build a booth where, you can just go sit down and have, have, you know, do a telehealth appointment with your VA, you know, hospital or medical provider or something like that. Um, you know, a library, maybe a little bit of a museum, you know, so I keep thinking about how to reimagine this great space um, that we have on Capitol Hill. And, but also just be an open, inviting and inclusive space for, for veterans and their families. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, and you and I have talked about this in depth. I mean, that's that's a hard vision, but you, I mean, you see, you see what it is and the work that's gonna it's gonna take to get there. I, I mean, um, just to give you just to give you an idea, I mean, um, the American Legion membership system is Byzantine. Okay, I think Department of Defense and the American Legion are still probably the only two national entities that have dot matrix printers because I get a whole pretty big printout on that white and green paper 
and they send me a whole stack of cards and you know, I've got to go send them out. And I'm just like, if you hired McKinsey and associates to come in and consult on how to improve your operations from top to bottom, they could do it. But I, I mean, the, the, our membership system is like something born of the 1950s. I mean, they probably had, you know, a whole floor of computers, you know, like, you know, like in the old days with, you know, all the wheels spinning and the tape and all that kind of, that's probably how it still looks and works. Um, and, you know, and I'm, I'm being a little, uh, you know, I'm embellishing this, but it's not too far from the truth. And I think one of the problems that the, the Legion suffers from in general, and I, and I would say probably the other VSOs in general, you know, number one, age, uh, challenging agent demographics, but, I, but it's, but it's like, we seem to have more than our fair share of reactionaries, um, people that just, they don't want to change. They're comfortable. They're, they're not comfortable with change right. and how to manage change. And mm-hmm. cause change can be tough. Change can be tough. Um, so I, I'm going to be running for uh, what's called National Executive uh, Committee, um, each uh, department. So the American Legion, each, you know, each state, like D.C., you know, Puerto Rico, Virgin, you know, they have their own departments. So I'm going to be running for that because I want to see it at the table. Um, and it's going to be like a room clearing entry, you know, when I get up there. It's going to be like knock twice, you know, open the door long enough so I can chuck a grenade in and, and go forward. Because I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably going to piss some people off. But that's what it's going to take, though, and you know that. But unfortunately, that's that's what it's going to take because it, it's you know, you know the, the, there's just so much reorganization, and that you know that's one of the reasons why I think looking across the board, why we need to merge a lot of these VSOs together. I mean, I think I mean because if you think about it, we have, so we have the American Legion, we have DAV, we have AMVETS. Paralyzed Veterans of America. Uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America. And, and there and there's certain flavors, you know, of kind of hyper-focused. You know, you've got Viet, Vietnam Veterans of America, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And I'm not proposing – I think those should be on their own because they represent a very unique core constituency. Um, you know, you've got Jewish American veterans. You know, you've got all this kind of stuff. But, you know, the big groups. I mean, all these groups to some degree are doing the same are the same things. They're lobbying for the same things. Now yeah. – in order to be a VFW member, Veterans of Foreign Wars, you had to be in, be in a you know contingency operation, have a campaign medal. American Legion, you don't. Um, you just had to have been on active duty for at least 180 days uh, for something other than training. Um, but I, I, I keep looking, and I and I, th- I think about it like this. And and a couple couple of my members have said, look, if this was a VFW post, I'd be active in the VFW. But it's an American Legion post, so I'm active in. The, the American Legion. And um, so, you know, they've got so many, so much physical infrastructure across the country where, you know, with between the MVETs and DAV and all, all these organizations, why do we need to keep eating each, eating each other's lawns? I mean, we, we lack, except for asking for Secretary Wilkie to resign, you know, we lack unity of effort. And instead of five organizations coming to the Hill, why don't we come to the Hill with one voice? And why don't we save on, you know, economies to scale, you know, uh, streamline management, streamline our lobbying, streamline the way that we help our wounded and uh, wounded vets and our disabled vets. Um, I think that I'm, I'm going to write an article about that. That'll probably piss some people off too. 
Um, Well, I also think there's something to be said about everybody wants to be the one that does change that legislation or the group that does make the big change. And I kind of feel like there's a there's a competition there. And if they start like we start weeding people out and we have to come together, then not everyone's going to have a space anymore. But but I mean, just think about it from a lot, you know, and you're you're a lobbyist. I mean, think I, I think. Well, I don't think I know that the American Legion has lost influence on on Capitol Hill. Yes. Uh, declining numbers. Um, I think it, it had the American Legion had the numbers it did in let's say the 1960s, and they asked for a VA secretary to step down. That guy would be out on you know on his rear in the next day because of, because of the number of the membership we had the power that power has been diluted. Okay, well let's. That's a good uh, word. I like that word diluted. Yeah. So let's you know n- number one we need to build a better structure. Okay. And then number two, we need to have, we need to come to terms on who we are and what we want to be, because frankly, it's, it's time for our generation to step up and take, take over and take control. Because if we don't, again, 30 years from now, when people our age who've who've never done a thing to help out, they're going to need VA. They're going to need resources. They're going to need the ability to articulate something, you know, the need for something to help them out. And if we don't keep, the VSO or a, a strong VSO or VSOs together and, and, and viable, who's going to lobby for them when they need it the most? No, I, I mean, I think that's very well said. And you're right. They have, they have lost their effectiveness. And then everybody kind of wants to take a piece of like getting the legislation passed or everybody wants to post about how they're trying to change this and they're trying to change that. And when you have all those voices coming into the offices and like the different meetings and stuff, yeah, if they could just combine that effort, I think, like you said. And I don't think it's not that they're not getting things done, but like, but like you said, they're not as powerful as they used to be. Like, oh, you're like the American Legion is, is you know, American Legion wants Wilkie to resign. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, IAVA wants, wants Wilkie. Oh, well, because there's also like, there's also five other groups, right? So. Yeah. And, and, and I also, I think, and I'll speak for the American Legion specifically. I mean, I think they're, if everything is a legislative priority, nothing is a legislative priority. Yes. Okay. I think they need to streamline how they build their legislative priorities. I mean, basically the, the whole legislative resolution process in the American Legion is also Byzantine. I mean, it, it takes, you know, the, the process for building the legislative agenda or just even getting anything done in the American Legion is, is, is just so complicated and so time consuming that it, it's no wonder we get little to nothing done. And, and it also speaks to the way we elect our officers, you know, at, various echelons because, you know, I asked, I mean, you know, with, the, with respect to the American Legion, they know who the next national commanders are going to be for the next three or four years. And you look at any, I look at any other organization that I belong to, and, and I should say the American Legion national commander serves for a one-year term. Um, but what other organization do you know who the ne- national commander is going to be for the next four years? No, oh, that's, that's a horrible president. And, and I, I asked somebody, I said, why can't I run to just run for national commander? And he's like, Oh, that would never happen. Never you happened. haven't been in line long enough. Well, I, I apparently I haven't paid my dues. I mean, it doesn't matter. Well, that's that, the same thing though. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter that I, you know, I'm a field grade officer in the army. Um, you know, a veteran of, of three campaigns, you know, I'll count COVID as the fourth. Um, you know, I've got dual master's degrees. I'm a professional. I've got the academic pedigree. I mean, I haven't paid my dues because I'm a young whippersnapper. It doesn't matter what I've done. Um, you know, some, some guy who served in, uh, 
the military in the sixties for one year, you know, but he's been there for 50 years, you know, he's more qualified than I am apparently. Well, and like you said, by the time you do pay your dues, um, the American Legion will be non-existent or will be so down, down the drain that it will not, you will not be able to revive it. I mean, how cool would it be, though, to have a national commander who's a, a GWAT veteran? I mean, so, somebody somebody who's more in touch with with what our generation needs. And, and, I, and I say this, I mean, again, I'm 42. I mean, I'm probably I'm, – I'm, I'm a little far removed from Gen Y and Gen Z and those vets. Um, but I'm willing to have a conversation. I'm willing to listen to what, what their needs are. And I'm also willing to take the steps to build an organization that – you know, that will, that will better cater to them. And I don't, I don't, I don't see that coming down the road. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and then do they have, do they know who's going to follow you when you leave your position? Uh, yes, uh, I think so. Um, has he been in line too? Yeah. Has he paid his dues? Has he paid uh, his dues? Yeah, he's paid his dues. Um, well, I, I need to get find a successor. Otherwise I won't be married uh, in the future. Wait, so, say that again. You know what? If I, if I don't find my successor, I won't be married. I've oh, been so the, I've been so for three years. So well, there isn't one. No, no, there is. There is. There okay. Is. But um, my wife has made it clear I need this needs to be my last year. So. Well, I think that's fair. It's time to change it up. I mean, you do a, you do a ton of other things in, yeah. the, in the community, so yeah. you can. It's time. Yeah, um, I did want to talk to you about uh, the American Legion bill that passed. Um, I think it was, it was called the Legion Act. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Because yeah. I was looking, I was looking at it when I was working on when I did my fellowship on the Hill, and then it did pass. But I'm still a little bit confused about what we were trying to do there. So, so what we were trying to do is open the aperture on, you know, certain certain vets who served during uh, different periods to get them uh, into the Legion. So, uh, it used to be, you know, there was there were certain periods of time where you had to serve, like. Uh, you know, 1940, well, it was uh, like World War One, but um, I don't, you know, I know uh, we don't have any of those guys left. Uh, uh, but um, basically anybody, the, the way the Legion Act changed our membership criteria is that anybody who served any period of time on active duty from 1941, to, you know, December 7, 1941, to the present could join the Legion. And in the past, um, it was like World War Two, and then Korea, and then it started again during... Um, you know, the Vietnam era, and then it stopped, and then it picked up in 1990 with the Gulf War, and then it just remained open from 1990 on. So there were there were certain periods of time where that, that veterans had served where they they weren't eligible for Legion membership, and the Legion Act changed that. Well, why would why, why would they even initially start it that way? It is during a time of national emergency, and. You know, I think, and, and the reason why that had to go in front of Congress is because we're incorporated by Congress. Yes. Yeah. Congress had to be, to amend our, uh, our, uh, incorporate articles of incorporation to allow that. So I think, it, I think it allowed 6 million more potential members to join now. And I think those people previously could join AMVETS, but they, but they couldn't join the Legion. So, um, cause the yeah. AMVETS didn't have the same. Uh, restrictions on on periods of service. Well, and I definitely think, and I think you touched on this, that there was the, there was a push to do that because the Legion is dying, and they're like, well, if we allow if we allow a larger population, at least we have a chance of bringing more people in. And, it was also, like a recruiting effort. Yeah, but I also think that um, you know, even if you weren't in a, in a period of you know where there was a national emergency, 
you're, you're, you're serving, you're providing strategic deterrence against our enemy. So, so your presence in the military in some large degree is deterring hostile action from another country. No, so, I, I agree. I think that, I think that everyone should be allowed at the, at the American Legion. Yes. And now we take members of the space force too. Well, good. Go. I mean, we have to stay up to date. Yes. Um, but it, but I kind of relate it to like the VFW. So I find this interesting. So the VFW obviously have to be a veteran of foreign wars, right? Yes. So that very much cuts down the population, and and you know, in certain periods it grows and then it declines, and we got that. But if you are a if you are a family member of the VFW of a VFW member, you can be a part of the VFW. Yeah, so, so you in the auxiliary. Yeah, they're auxiliary. And the same same thing with the, with the American Legion Auxiliary. And I, one thing I will say that was very positive change. So in the, the American Legion Auxiliary was limited to only women. So he, here, here, is, here is kind of a scenario where if you, you know, if, if you're a woman married to a male service member um, before, um, you, could, you could join the American Legion Auxiliary, okay? If you, uh, now in order to join the Sons of the American Legion, you either had to be the son or grandson or, uh, of, of a male or female veteran in order to join that. So, but here's the problem is that let's say um, I was the one married to uh, a female uh, you know, military member who qualified for Legion, full Legion membership, mm-hmm. um, but I could, I, for whatever reason, I couldn't join the Sons. I wasn't allowed to join the auxiliary. So you were just left out hanging in dry period? So, so male spouses potentially were left out. So they, they made that change. So now that um, we actually, I think I actually have two uh, male members of the auxiliary now, which is a, which is a change. Um, and, and, and a long time coming because again, greater numbers of women serve in the military. And I, and, and that change reflects, you know, a, a new reality. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this. I think it's, I think you're definitely going to find, and going back to what you said earlier, you're definitely going to find um, a, it, it a challenge to bring women into the American Legion, which brings me to my, one of my other favorite topics. Yeah. Um, I sent this to you when I found it. Let me find it. So our viewers know what I'm talking about or listeners. Uh, so it's the scathing article written by Jasper Craven yeah. about the American Legion and it's called the exclusionary white men of the American Legion. And yep. it is written in uh, the new, the stellar New Republic back in August. So, well, so well, let me finish just, just so yep, they get sure, the, sure. the background. Um, so, it talks about how the veterans organizations have been plagued by racism and sexism. Staff, staff, and members say history is repeating itself in the Trump age. So, uh, we're, you know that we're talking back in August. Um, yeah. So, go, so please, what are your thoughts on this article? I, I have many thoughts on this article, um, and I, I'm, I'm going to be very candid about this article. Please. I, I think that I, I've had to explain away this article to a number of people to say, look, you know, we're, we're, this isn't the American Legion isn't this white supremacist organization that Mr. Craven makes it out to be. And, and, and let me let me just set the stage for this. So. Um, Mr. Craven is a uh, very hardcore Bernie Sanders supporter and, you know, take that, take that for what you will, but he's the kind of person that sees the world and, and with the, through the lens of racism, sexism, you know, socialism. And he, uh, that's, that's his worldview. That's how he filters these issues and then distills them into his wonderful think pieces and, fine magazines like the new republic now let me say that the new republic his article 
was red meat for them. I mean, this guy, you know, and I've heard, and I, I have, an, have a friend who knows this guy really well, who is quoted in the article and, and, you know, and just in general, I mean, um, this is a guy who can't sell his articles to any mainstream magazine other than New Republic. He, he's in um, task and purpose sometimes, the online blog, but this isn't a guy who's getting his stuff published in the post of the time. So let's, let's say that. And let me also say that the New Republic is a magazine that said, used to say good things about Joseph Stalin in the Depression times and what a wonderful place the USSR was um, leading up to World War II. Now, obviously, during the war and after the war, they stopped saying that. But look, the New Republic is what it is, okay? So basically, Mr. Craven equates Americanism with white supremacy. Um, so if you're willing to take that intellectual leap, that's great. Um, in general, what he does and, and what I, what he does in a lot of his other articles that I, you know, I, that I, that I read is he strings together various bits of history in order to, um, support, you know, some kind of thesis. Like his thesis is, you know, everybody in the Legion, they're all white male supremacists. We hate everybody. We're all racist. And look, if you go back in any, you know, and basically he strings along five or six examples going back a hundred years of American Legion history. Okay. And I would challenge anybody to go back to any organization and, and look back and, and make it, you know, come to a conclusion based on things that, that have happened a hundred years ago and, and all throughout. So he really doesn't provide any recent examples of other than some anecdotal things from a, a, a post in Portland um, about, you know, basically he doesn't support his thesis. I mean, like, you know, so I'm a graduate of the Army War College Basic Strategic Arts Program, all right? Very demanding course. Um, you know, you get rated on your papers one through five. He would have probably gotten a one or a two to, because <laughs> right to this, that, he doesn't, that he doesn't support. And, and that's... And it, he just makes it long just so it confuses you so that you, you know, you don't know where you're going. He, you, have nowhere, you have no idea where he's going with this. Well, well and, and the presumption is, is that if you're a conservative veteran... That's bad. I mean, yeah, I remember, I remember we got that. Thing, yeah, and I remember one thing that he he talks about where our national adjutant at a national convention wore Donald Trump socks, and I'm thinking, okay, well, would it have been better if he wore a Che Guevara shirt and a Che Guevara socks? You know, would that would that fit? You know, would that you know put your mind at ease that that you know American Legion is a great organization and what, frequently what he does, you know, and some of his other stuff, he he finds the, like the most socialist communist veterans that we have out there quotes them, um, tries to portray it at the, their thinking is mainstream and really what he does. It, it's the, 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 his article is a false flag. I mean, and, and, and he's trying to paint us and as, as this, that, you know, we're all white male misogynist, you know, everything like that doesn't, doesn't, you know, makes an arguments um, loosely strings arguments together to try and make a coherent narrative. He fails, but you know, one of my degrees is history. I, I love history. I read a lot of books. And when you, when you know history, like I do, you know, that, you know, that it's bullshit. Like, like he talks about, well, the American Legion invited Mussolini um, to speak at a national convention. Well, okay. Back in 1930. Okay. Well, when you put, if you have a grasp on history and you understand history, I mean, we were early part of the depression. You know, this country was ripping itself apart. Europe was, was ripping itself apart. I mean, you had the fall of monarchies, the Weimar Republic, 
I mean, Europe was fighting for its identity. And here you have this guy Mussolini, and this is before, you know, the, all the evils of fascism and everything kind of understood, you know, before Hitler and everything like that. Well, Mussolini was the man who made the trains run on time. I mean, that's the old anecdote. And he took, you know, a war-ravaged uh, uh, poor country and kind of put it back on track. Now, he used bad methods, but a lot of those weren't known to the public at the time. So, of course, the American Legion, I mean, the American Legion has always been anti-communist, uh, anti-socialist. Um, and well, and he I, seemed like he was able to find some some key people to talk shit, basically, we'll, I'll call it that. And then we strung yeah. all their their comments at the top. And they have held some key positions. I will, I will give him that. Yeah. But I think, you know, he found everyone, he found all the people that don't like the American Legion, and then he quoted yeah. just them, and then your friend at the bottom. Yeah. And I think that, to some degree, this was a hit piece by, sponsored by some disgruntled people uh, in the ledge office at the American Legion. I'm not going to name names, but people can read the article for themselves and make their own determination. Um, but I will say that, that the American Legion is still probably a little too white male. Yeah. Probably still, still a little too conservative. Yeah. Um, probably a little bit too male heavy overall. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. But but trying to equate the American Legion and our support of Americanism with with white supremacy. I mean, he talks about like uh, boy state as as being equivalent to like the Hitler youth or like uh, any of the red banner stuff. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. And and here's a guy, you know, who's not a veteran. Never served in the military. Um, writing, writing these things about things that he, that he thinks he knows about, but he's, he, he doesn't. So I, I would, you know, if Mr. Craven wants to listen to this, uh, I'm happy to match wits with him anytime. And after we're done, I'll buy him a beer. And just so everyone can, can read this article, I will put it on uh, carry on podcast, Facebook. I don't really want to promote the article, but at least we'll put it up since we, we talked about it and you can read it for yourself. Right. Yeah, and, and let me also say this, Lindsay, is that the, the time, the, the, the opportunities I've had to put the article in context, um, people have said, you know what, you're right. Um, you know, one, one, of our, one of our members who's a person of color, uh, we talked about it, and, and, and I said, you know, I just I put the whole thing in perspective. When, once you apply reason and facts to his article, and look, who else is going to publish an article like that other than the New Republic? Well, yeah, that's, I think that's obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, but I mean, even task and purpose didn't pick it up. Yeah, no, task and purpose didn't want to touch it. Probably. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, because I definitely wanted to hear your opinion on that. And, and as you know, I got a hold of you when I saw the article, and it was kind of flowing around. It was kind of being emailed around the women veteran community. And I, I felt that it wasn't given a fair shake and that people were like, yeah, the American Legion needs to change and all these things. I'm like, again, wait a second. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at what really is going on and look at the changes that and I'm glad we got to talk to you personally just about your post in D.C. about the changes that are really happening. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. Like and you, you stated before that we can't make change overnight. The, the yeah. culture isn't going to change overnight, but 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 changes are, are being made slowly. And I think that's very important in this whole transition and and my wife my wife is in as an american legion auxiliary member you know participates to some degree and she and i were talking about the article and i and i told her i said you know i i don't think the legion necessarily has a race problem i think it has an age problem and, the, and the age problem it's a ge it's generational conflict and mm -hmm. that's that's the issue with the legion it, it's not one where 
were grossly racist. And, you know, there was, there was one thing that some people were disappointed about over the summer where we, we failed to, I guess, allegedly respond strongly enough to the Black Lives Matter protests. And yes, and the statement given out by the American Legion president, right, was not yeah. seen as supporting BLM. Yeah. And, and then and then also um, the uh, the Fort Hood um, um, with, the, with the female soldiers. Her name escapes me right now. Um, Vanessa Gain. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the one thing I, I think that you know, the Legion obviously doesn't support soldiers disappearing and, and being killed and being sexually assaulted. Um, and, and I, you know, but one of the things I said is that, you know, this is an army issue. The army will, 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 will investigate and will address this. And, you know, as we know, within the last month, I mean, there's, there, there were a lot of senior leaders at Fort Hood that, that were relieved and effectively had their military careers ended mm-hmm. because of that investigation. And, and it was pretty damning in terms of a systemic, leadership problem and it's just a systemic failure all the way around. Yeah. And I just want to point this out that uh, the American Legion could not make a statement um, on Black Lives Matters and could not make a statement to support Vanessa Guillen, but they can come out against um, Wilkie resigning. So, I mean, come on, if if you're going to, if you can still, if you can do that, then you can at least support women and you can at least support minorities and you can at least make a statement that doesn't necessarily have to encourage it, but at least understands what's going on. Yeah. And, and I think um, sometimes Legion talks when they shouldn't talk and they don't talk when they should talk. Well, they talk when it's safe because, you know, yeah. when you have, when everybody around you supports what you're thinking, you're just like yeah. we talked about, you're just another one. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I do think, and I don't want to misquote this, but I do believe that like IAVA and some of the, some of the other uh, veteran organizations that cater to younger veterans, I do believe they did make stances on I Am Vanessa Gain movement and they did post things. So I think that that's also important to note as well, that again, it's an age thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard to have, uh, it's hard to have 60 or 70 year old men talk about sexual harassment in the military when they never even served with a woman. Yeah. You, yeah, you and can't I, put those, you know, you can't, you can't make someone understand what that's like. Yeah. And I, and I think just overall, and maybe I'll get in trouble uh, for this. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but the Legion lacks agility. That's, that's kind of the new business management term for it. They lack agility to respond quickly and decisively to emerging threats and challenges. So when something like the Fort Hood thing comes up, okay. Trying to trying to craft a response, trying to craft a strategy, and, and you, actually, you don't even doesn't even have to be very complex. It's just say we unequivocally uh, denounce sexual uh, assault and harassment in the military. Uh, we support the Department of Defense and the Secretary of the Army in their efforts to investigate this matter and bring it to a swift close. Bam! That's it. And a hashtag. I could go work for them. See, you should. But they can't afford to pay me enough. So well, and I notice they get into these like long speeches, and by the time you get to the end of the meeting, you're just like, okay, American Legion, like I already moved on. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I know they they put one up about denouncing the violence at the Capitol. So yeah. of course that's an easy one to put up because everyone's yeah. doing that. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's you know what it, what it speaks to just in general is is you know you, you certainly have physical courage, but it's also moral moral courage to be able to speak out when it's not safe or comfortable. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, just to go back on that, I definitely agree that they should have made a statement on Black Lives Matters and I am Vanessa Gamble. Yeah. 
Okay, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do ask everyone on, well, first of all, is there anything else you want to talk about? Do we hit up all the, oh, one more yes. How do you yeah. feel about uh, probably our new secretary of the VA not being a uh, veteran? Yes. Um, comes with, it was uh, a deputy national security advisor um, known as a fixer. Um, I am one of the few people I think, I don't have a problem that he's not a veteran because um I think I think he's going to bring a, f a fresh perspective into the administration, and you know a lot of people say, and, and you hear this with Marines, like only a Marine can take care of a Marine, or only somebody can take. Well, geez, I mean that that's that's like a slippery slope right there. I mean it, it's not true. Um, I think having somebody from the outside come in to take a, to, to holistically take a look around, because because I, I think the thing with the VA is this. The VA is always like a day, a day late and a dollar short. They always seem to be just when they make their next like, you know, innovative leap, they're like two innovative leaps behind because again, just like the American Legion, the VA is not agile. Um, you know, and essentially it's government and it, it's like, it's like the healthcare. I mean, you know, and again, who knows what's going to happen in the next administration with privatization of healthcare. Um, but the American Legion always seems to be one step behind. Like, oh, we're just waiting for this new piece of technology. Oh, we're just waiting for this new policy. Um, and they just never seem to quite catch up. And I have, have openly and publicly questioned the need for VA, the VA healthcare system to be as large as what it is. Um, I think that the, the, vet, the VA medical system, I may, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. Please. Um, I love tangents, okay. obviously. The VA medical system was created and existed in a time where this country didn't have the medical infrastructure that it possesses now. Okay. Um, and you hear, you know, you hear the VA mantra, like only a veteran can take care of a veteran. Okay. Well, that's probably not true. I'm going to say it's it, mostly not true. So, you know, just like everybody knows in DC, there's the DC VA medical center. And then right across the street, there's a MedStar hospital. Okay. Um, now I know you personally have received good care there. I know I've received good care there, but the front end of that hospital is broken. You know, the administrative part, like scheduling appointments, the follow-up is pretty bad. And I just keep asking the question, why do we need to duplicate the civilian medical infrastructure that already exists? So instead of me having to go to the VA hospital for certain things, why, why can't I just be paid to go see my own doctor? Why can't I just go to, you know, the clinic that's like around the block? And, you know, I, I hear them, I hear the VA say all the time, well, you know, they, they keep costs down and they do this. I just always wonder, and, and I don't want to besmirch the good people at the VA because there, there are a lot of them at the hospitals, but how can you compete when, you know, to get the best medical professionals when they just simply can't pay as much as, as what a civilian system would do? And, and I think that's something, you know, the, the big veteran service organizations are, are opposed to privatization. Um, I would have to say I am too, or no, yeah, I'm, I'm opposed to, but I think, I think veterans ought to have a choice. Well, I feel like we do a lot of things really well and we need to focus on those things. And then to the degree that we are privatized right now with, uh, with being able to go to appointments for like mental health and physical therapy on the economy. Yeah. I think a lot of those programs need to stay because they're obviously necessary, but to go any deeper, I don't know. But, but I, I, just, I will say that, I mean, I think, I think they made some strides, at, the, at, at especially at the D.C. VA Medical Center. But it's still like, you know, 
I think before like, I even walk through the door, I'm, I'm, I get accosted for money by three homeless guys. I get, I get uh, accosted for money at the snack bar and will buy me something. And it's just, you're making someone's point for her. I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree though. Not now during COVID, they've got it on lockdown a little yeah. bit better. Yeah. Um, but, but I'll tell you, and, and I would encourage everybody, uh, Scott McFarlane with NBC four, I'll give him a shout out, uh, if I may, cause Please. he's done, a, he's done a really great job of staying on top of the VA medical center. And, uh, yeah, so Scott was our speaker, our keynote speaker for veterans day. Um, and we did a Facebook live stream for the first time in our history of, of our ceremony, which was pretty successful. And I really, you know, I've gotten to know Scott, you know, over the last couple of years and, and for him, he told a really poignant story about, I mean, his father died in a VA uh, medical hospital and talked about just some of the shortcomings of the care and things. And I, and I, he, he, I, I think, you know, we'll agree that, I mean, there's been changes made, but just some of the stuff that he's reported on, you just look at, you look at it and you're just, why? Like, how does this happen? But then I go back to the fact, well, it's government. And does government really do anything? And I will say this, you, you, ha you have to be, proactive with the VA. Yes, you, you have do. to be proactive with your medical care. And so for me, because I work for myself, I have the time to follow up on these appointments. I have the time to go during the day. Yep. If I was working a full-time job, this, the, what, I mean, what, when would I ever make time to go to the VA? So yep. I do think if you have the more time, your healthcare can be better, but you have to be proactive in this process. You have to check your med pros. You have to make sure the pharmacy's got your correct address. Yep. You have to follow up on these things. And if yep. you don't, then you just get lost in the system. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just, you know, a case management continues to be a problem there, at least mm -hmm. for my box. Yeah. Okay. One last question. So yeah. since you are on the carry on podcast, yes. um, I would want to ask you a time in your life that you um, had to really struggle to carry on. And then now that when you look back at it, you're like, wow, I can't believe I made it through that shit. And you kind of use that time as a standard to like other things that you're going through. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably the, the, the one thing that always comes to mind, it was, it was my last mission, my first tour in Iraq. And um, we were, we had, we, as anybody who's rotated out of a theater of operations know, um, we had our connexes packed, sensitive items inventoried. Uh, we were like a couple days from flying out. I mean, our, our unit that was ripping with us was there. And word um, that uh, there was intel about a guy who uh, was responsible for, for the death of and wounding a couple of my soldiers. And I was given first right, uh, you know, first right to uh, right refuse. And I'm like, fuck it, take this. And I, I scattered together every, every uh, fobbit I could find who had a gun and everybody. And you know, I had one of my platoons and, and we went out at night driving, you know, Humvees, night vision goggles, uh, you know, crazy Iraqi canal roads and all this kind of stuff. And we, we just kicked the shit out of them. We, we converged, um, on, on this, on this compound. I mean, we hit 10 houses. I mean, we were just like men possessed, soldiers possessed. And we got a little bit of justice for, for that. And we, we made some arrests and things like that. And it was one of those times where, I think, I think for, you know, for, for the sanity of the unit, the national guard unit. And, and if everybody knows the national guard, I mean, you serve with these guys, these same guys for 10 or 20 years. I mean, it's not like active duty where, you know, you're constantly moving around. So I just thought, look for the future of this unit for, you know, for our honor, 
we, we've we got to do this and we did it. And we, I don't want to say, you know, you know, you can't bring anybody back who got, got killed. And I, and I always regret that, but we, we did our job as soldiers and it was taking a moment of adversity and we made it, turn it into a moment of triumph. And I'll, I'll never forget that till the day that I die. Well, thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. All right. Any last, any last thoughts? Just, just praying for a safe inauguration. Um, God bless our troops, our guys on the line. Couple, couple uh, units from my state are here. Um, yeah, actually, I was going to ask you that because they're they're from all over the place. Is there a group here from your unit? Uh, so New York uh, sent some MP units, military mm. police units, and um, they are uh, you know they're doing yeoman's work. And again, but it just everybody who's there, you know, all of our federal law enforcement, city law enforcement. Um, you know, state police, I think from Virginia and Maryland, just all, just, just God bless those people. I mean, my, they, they will be in my thoughts and prayers. Um, I'm, I'm escaping from DC for the, for two days during that time. Um, my wife and I are going to be staying in a nice remote cabin at the Shenandoah uh, park and we'll be watching some stuff on TV and again, praying probably while doing a puzzle and sipping on bourbon that, uh, nothing happens. And, um, uh, just, just so we can get through this as a country and move on. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually think it's going to run very smoothly. but I think so, too. We will see. We shall see. All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for taking your time today to be on the podcast. If you would like to check out other episodes, you can find me, uh, Lindsay Rowland, on LinkedIn and Carry On Podcast on Facebook. Thank you for, thank you for hanging out with us today. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.